Welcome to the Barber Shop, Bhavna. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and coming. Uh, we started the Barber Shop as a place for entrepreneurs to come and share and go deeper. The idea is to make entrepreneurship human. Um, the fundamental belief is that <clears throat> in India, entrepreneurship is becoming mainstream. And the moment something becomes mainstream, then superstars become godly mm. and then they become untouchable. Right? Mm. What's happened with Sachin or P.V. Mm. Sindhu or in Bollywood with all our actors and all of that. So you they become unrelatable for the common people. Mm. And fundamentally, my belief is that India needs to create, I think statistically India needs to create a million jobs a month. Yeah. We're at 200,000. Yeah. So that deficit will only be created if everyone becomes entrepreneurial sure. in their own way. Not entrepreneurs or raising millions of dollars, but in their own life, in their own way, aspire. Sure. And it's also a very aspiring generation. So after this conversation, if any of our listeners thinks that, hey, this is something I can actually do, right? Listening to Bhavna or Shantanu or any of yeah. our people who have come uh, makes it relatable, um, then we have kind of achieved our purpose. So that's the objective and thank you so much for coming. No, I'm super excited to be here. I mean, like, you know, when we spoke about it, you and I know each other from LinkedIn a little bit. I think we both <laughs> are very similar in a way where we try saying our truth just as and then this conflicting opinions. But yeah, I think that's the only way, right? I think yeah. uh, like you, I think I say what, what I say and I come for these things because the intent is, listen, to speak your truth and say it's not always all rosy. It's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah. You know, and if I can do it, you can and so can everybody. And I think, I think all of us deep down know, right? That's the only thing that we have left. Yeah, but tell me a little bit about what got you to start 10 Club. And you were talking about your childhood outside the country, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into my monologue because yeah. I I don't think anything I have done is ever planned, and I think now that I'm in my 30s, I question if life should be a little bit more structured and planned. But I don't think anything in my life has ever been planned, and I love that about it—the fact that I have zero expectations. I love whatever life throws, and I'm like, oh shit. Okay, we'll figure it out. And I think it prepares you for everything. And I think everything, who you are, what you are, your fears, the confidence that you get, it all comes from your childhood, right? It, whatever anyone says, I don't think there's molding too much that you control. A lot of it is how you're brought up, what your surrounding is, what your support system is. My theory is I was born to two very young parents who had no idea what they were doing. How old were they? My mom was 21 wow. and my dad was 24. Wow. And where, where was this? Uh, so they, they met in Bangalore. I'm third generation Bangalorean. My grandparents moved there. My parents were born there. They've known each other the whole their whole life. It was an arranged marriage. And immediately moved. So they moved and I grew up in Oman. Okay. Which sounds like the outside, but it is the Middle East. So it is quite protected and it is quite, you know, I mean, I'll tell you another story. But the idea is you can become very, very, you know, you can be in a mold and you can never get out and be free. Like and every time I used to come to India, I used to get scared because... I felt like people were like way ahead of me, right? I didn't know how to take an auto rickshaw on my own. It would scare me. But I think what ended up happening in all of this was, like I told you, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, I've not asked my parents, but I think my dad and mom had one kid, me. Um, they, their full attention was on me. They were very strict parents, um, and I don't know how, because they were so young. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, you know, my dad used to make me do chores at home, and I used to get paid for it. You know, and I, I had to give an account of where I spent it. So I was like the only kid at school who made her own money, <laughs> you know. And suddenly I had money and I hated spending it. So it was something like that, you know. We what were kind a, of chores would you do? Anything. So weekdays was setting the table, washing the dishes. Weekends was the 
my father's car needed to be washed and at the end of it i got my we- weekly wage which was 1 real which is 100 rupees or something back then which was a lot of money for a kid, school kid yeah. never spent it i think never spent it and i would always i would love watching that money grow and my dad would be like you don't want to buy anything <laughs> like no yeah. uh, but i think that that joy of like doing it on your own you know was great but i think the other parallel of it was i like i told you i left home at 15 um it was too slow it was too boring it was too protected and i was like okay now i'm ready to go out and i think that's 10th grade 11th grade you yeah, came back exactly right? at the end of 10th grade the options when you wor- live abroad or live in the middle east is you write your essays you go to the us uh-huh. or a brave few kind of come back okay uh obviously taking the essays and going to the us was the easy way out and i was just like no i'm going back to my country and i'm <laughs> going to figure this out and it also seemed scary right it seemed really scary and i don't know there was this weird thing in me where i was like i will do the scariest thing always and then we'll figure it out because if something happens i can always come back home and i think that was very interesting right that feeling of saying listen i will go i will do but if i fall i have my support system yeah. and i think that was a very interesting upbringing where you let the person go and you say you fall and if you i mean if you don't get up we'll help you but try getting up on your own and i think that's that's my childhood right wow. so and again i did not make any of this while i was in the journey but i think as you grow up and you reflect where does all this craziness come from i think it comes from there what do uh, your parents do for a living in oman so my mom was a psychiatrist at school she was actually my counselor in your own school yeah she, she was the one who did sex education for my class so it was as embarrassing as it could <laughs> get and she's also young right so she was one of my closest friends so she would come and she would make it a point to embarrass me in front of people I'm like oh, okay <laughs> so she was a teacher and a counselor my dad for 30 years worked in the tire industry so he just basically worked for Yokohama tires out of the middle east for 30 years so sales was it in the factory was it what kind of work so a bit of everything okay. so you know 30 years does everything lot, by yeah. the end uh, retired at the peak of covid he's a man who worked, now right recently yeah so he's a man who worked 7 days a week no holidays you know watch that I don't think I fully agree with that uh but you know one of those people who says work is everything you work but always had time right which is I went on long drives with him he would take me to so that's the thing I think the idea was there was a lot of like structure but a lot of freedom of saying you want to explore art you want to explore games you want to explore this you do that so I had academics but I also had 20 things going on in the side which is name the instrument I have learned it I have tried learning Hindustani music, Carnatic music, art, basketball, everything. Sucked at it all. <laughs> right? Which I think is a great skill set of saying I'm going to try. Oh shit, I suck. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, try something else. I'm like, okay, suck at it also. <laughs> but I think that's a great skill set to learn, right? Saying, oh man, I'm not really good at anything, but let's keep trying. Life will work it out. But I think all of this is the crux of But were you a very social person? Because single child, sometimes I, I wonder whether people who don't have siblings they find it hard to make social relationships with. I had really good friends, okay. and I think that's been my story through my life. Like I have a great set of parents, now a great set of in-laws. Found myself a great partner, uh, who I think works for me and I work for him. But siblings have never been a question because I've always had really close friends, who do nothing. Blood that friends. I, huh? Blood friends. Yes, cool. Like, but <laughs> lots of men kidding, and huh? lots of boys. Lots of Unlike you, there is diversity there. <laughs> I have my set of women, my set of boys. I have 
friends across age groups. So I think that's quite interesting. I, I am not surprised just having interacted with you for the last half an hour. Um, that's but to answer surprised. your question, I don't know if I was social. So the answer is, you know, you're a kid who's not really sure. Uh, and when you're in it, it sucks, right? When you're yeah. not good at anything and you're like, but I think as you grow up, you're like, you can say it like it's a good story. Yeah. And what happened? Like you came to India to do what? To do 11th, 12th and in college or? Yeah. So I came back because I was like, musket's too boring. I need to get out. Um, came to live with my grandmother, which was very interesting because that was a very different uh, play. In Bangalore. Yeah. Went back to Bangalore, stayed for a bit. Kept shuttling actually between Bangalore and Musket. I don't know how I did it. And then started doing gigs. Like, you know, I started making my own money. I was a Red Bull girl. It paid so well. Yeah? Yeah. How much would you, how much would 10, you do? 10, 15 grand. A month? Yeah. Doing what? Going to I colleges and... So, till I was 18, it was distribution. But as soon as I was 18, and I, 18, I could drive the car. Okay. And that pays you really well. Wow. So, I used to make 15 grand a month. Back in the day, that was a lot more money, money yeah. than you need. I agree. Right, so suddenly I was buying people gifts. I was like, giving my dad like gifts, and my dad was like, "Okay, do you need me for anything anymore?" And I'm like, "No, no." So I think that was that was interesting, right? And I think with that, as soon as you start making your own money, I don't know how to say this, right? It's not about arrogance or anything. It's just choice. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. Where the minute you know you can start making money and become financially independent, you don't have to be disrespectful disrespectful about anything. But just the fact that I think when you say no, somebody takes you a little bit more seriously and they're yeah. like, okay, you have an opinion. Yeah. But I think that's the crux of it. When I'm a mechanical engineer. Went uh, to a college called Ramaya in Bangalore. Which batch are you, if you don't mind me asking? The year I passed out. Yeah. 2010. Okay. Yeah, okay. 2010. I think all of my life skills came into play those four years. Okay. Because Ramaya is that college where... I mean, there were people who would carry guns. Why? It was a gangster college? It was a total gangster college. Fuck. It's known for its mechanical engineering. Okay. I went because it was far, far away from home, but close enough for me to come back home. Okay. And I liked that, and I was living by myself by then. Oh, really? Yeah. So my grandmother made was me a like space a upstairs. Okay. No, no. Okay. They made me a place upstairs. They're like, you please live your life. We will live my life separately. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, by 17, I was on my own. Uh -huh. Um... Yeah, and then college happened, and Ramaya was so uncomfortable, uh, but so great. You know, in a way where 300 men, two women. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> you know, it, it took some time. I've made my closest friends from there. Like, all my boys are from there. But, yeah, I think engineering went by... And now it was time to get a gig, right? Unlike you, I was just like, oh shit, what do I do? <laughs> Four years done. So Mahindra and Mahindra came to campus okay. and it was very weird. I just, everything sounded so boring. You know, the usual suspects came and I was not a consultant. There was no hope. And the recruiter basically kind of lined a bunch of people up and said, we're going to play a sport. And it started raining. And he said, we're going to play football. Okay. And I was like, whoa, so interesting. <laughs> And we played football. And I think he just found me so ridiculous. He was like, <laughs> this one girl in the middle of this ocean of men. She wants to play football in the rain. She must really want this job. <laughs> and I got the job. <laughs> you know, wow. I was the only one who got it. And then I, I remember the first day and I was, I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. You know, the recruitment process was so great. How fun will the job be? Oh, my God. The first day I remember landing on induction day and there were like a sea of like 
20 year olds or whatever like 200 300 of us in a room and i was like this is college again <laughs> you know and, and the so journey this started is, this is a, like a core tech like it's a core mechanical job in the auto, auto so they kind of recruit in batches yeah. and then they train you for a month uh-huh. and then you get assigned you get distributed okay right i mean they start looking at the you are no hope, you can't go into <laughs> R&D, you are not a technical person, you are a business person, you are a marketing person, you are back office process person. Got it. So they offered me back office process <laughs> person at the end of one month and I was like, dude, look at me. You think you can keep me at office? <laughs> so I remember fighting quite a bit and and then I got Bombay. I, for some reason, I wanted to go to Bombay. Got Bombay, got HQ. Within a month, basically, ended up going to Mr. Mahindra's office and saying, you have zero women on ground as field engineers, why? Then it came back to my supervisor saying, why can't she be? And basically, yeah, there was that revolutionary insight a little bit. Became their first woman on ground engineer, which basically meant I could go to new locations and launch service stations. Okay. So imagine this 20 year old child <laughs> going into new locations and setting up service stations with 200, 300 mechanics. Right? And they were like, are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I mean, you know, I got assigned Goa. Okay. So imagine spending a year and a half in Goa as a 20-year-old. bossing. 2010. Yeah. So you're servicing Scorpios and yeah, yeah. Boleros. Yeah, yeah. Portfolio, I had right? a Bolero. I had a badass Bolero. Uh-huh. I was in Goa. <laughs> I was 20. <laughs> My friends were visiting me all the time. And yeah, I mean, it was great. I think that learning was so scary again. I mean, imagine walking into a service station with like, Men looking at me saying, who, what are you? Chassis ka pata hai? And I'm like, huh. So, you know, set that up for a year and a half. Had a blast. By the end of it, became really good friends with a lot of them, right? I mean, yeah. from, I think the biggest lesson there was, if you can be nice, every, I mean, if people know that you're not vindictive and you're not going to, and you bring them some value yeah. and you kind of side with them, yeah. age and all that doesn't matter. And I think that's all it was. So, you know, that was, the only corporate gig I've ever had. Wow. Ever. <laughs> I think one and a half years in, I was like, nope, done. <laughs> met um, somewhere along those trips back to Bangalore. Met my current co-founder, Deepak. Okay. Uh, Deepak is, I don't know how old he is, 52, 53 really? now. Really? Yeah. So okay. he was, back in 2010, he had started a digital advertising agency called 22 Feet okay. out of Bangalore. It was our version of a startup back then where we were helping a bunch of consumer businesses go online and go digital, so social media, you know, all of that. One meeting, one office I went to and I was like, what am I doing with my life? No, yeah, so I think that's the deal. I met him, uh, met the team. It was a very small team, 15, 20 people of very cool people my age. Yeah, three weeks later, quit Mahindra, moved to Bangalore and had like an amazing time for the next two years watched what hyper growth was from this lens, right? <laughs> Which is, we were really small and we were growing and growing. What and were you guys doing exactly? We were a digital agency. Okay. Right? Like Facebook, Google kind of stuff. Websites. It was digital back in 2011, right? 2010, 2011. That's very 2011. for this stuff. It was cool. So the answer was it was very new, right? It was all content marketing and like websites and campaigns. And, you know, we had brands like Fast Track and Titan and like Red Bull. So, you know, all the cool brands that were doing cool stuff. I remember I was part of a Fish, Kingfisher account and we did, we had so much fun. Like, you uh-huh. know, we were just doing fun things. And uh, yeah, we just grew and we got acquired by DDB Group. Okay. 
and for me that was like you know damn you could have fun building something and there was a commercial outcome of that and it was so interesting to watch and were you a co-founder there were you no 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 i was no no i was 22 uh-huh. <laughs> no no i just joined the team i was part of the bd team okay so the early team right okay you know so it was i blame him for everything i'm like this is your fault uh-huh. i come from a middle class family that <laughs> has jobs uh-huh. but you trained me to this world and it was like tasting blood no i yeah. mean you're like oh man life can be this yeah. what what did you taste as a 22 how old were you when when the company got acquired i think i joined when i was 22 uh-huh. and i left when i was 24 so in 2 years like you you saw a company being built out yeah i mean we were 20 20 people we grew to i think when i left there were about 200 250 wow and like our brands just exploded we were doing fun stuff we were having a great time there really wasn't a creative team so it was in an interesting way it was commercial and creative together yeah um so you know it was just it was a lot of fun yeah. you know and it was it was, i think it built a lot of my fundamentals of if i ever do this on my own how will i do it uh-huh. what will i do what will i not do and you know you already start envisioning yourself as that and i think that was early signs of i never said the word i would do it but you know again like i said 2014 randomly applied to business school uh-huh. um actually somewhere along this something very interesting happened um i basically at 24 had a tumor okay. right on my face okay. right so like life just came to like a standstill okay and i mean yeah 24 year old girl face paralysis life what will happen So I mean everybody collected everybody got freaked out everybody had a little bit of their own little drama sequence <laughs> And I remember you know like my brain I took a cab alone I went to Baptist Hospital which is a big one in Bangalore walked straight into the doctor's room saying listen no one's going to sign off on this I'm an adult remove it out of me set a date two days from now I will tell my parents no somebody will come and sign get it out of me Where where on your face was it So it's on my nerve, facial nerve. Wow. Right and and you it was it like hurting or something? Yeah, or? it was pretty big. It was large. That's how you recognize something's wrong. So we knew it for a couple of years. Oh really? Okay. And I think the fear of taking it out was hard, right? And anyway, I think the net thing was it happened at a juncture where you're so young and you're like, oh shit, life like flashes up and you're like, at this point life can change. I mean, it came out like you know 22 feet was i mean i re- i mean it you it takes something like that in your life to realize who your troops are and yeah friends family everybody came together it was long it was a six months process uh you know the tumor came out but i was my face was paralyzed for six months and then you're serious i still have a little bit of it um you can't make out now it's, maybe it's it's completely un- like yeah but when i you know so yeah i think people who know me can tell people who can't it's been 10 years so i mean it's been about 8 years so it's okay but i think that was a very big turning point right where you suddenly realize you have that strength in you where you're like what's the worst that will happen we'll figure it out and you take it so i think it was that turning point where i said okay i'm going to do something more scary apply to for some reason i wanted to live abroad so i applied to france agc uh-huh. got in uh 3 months later i was in france and i think business school changes you right when you're in a group of like 100 to 120 people with such diverse views one month into um school i started my first venture it's called style bank 
got it tattooed on myself. <laughs> like I was that confident about it. Um, it was a fashion rental platform. I was inspired by Rent the Runway happening uh-huh. in the US. Built it for two years. In India. While I was in Paris, mm-hmm. found myself a co-founder in India. So you built it in Paris for India. Yeah, I was doing all my sourcing, all of that for well, India. That's an interesting thing actually because you had you, you mm-hmm. had access to fashion there. Okay. Yeah, so I had it there, which was not available in India. Did not know India will not pay. <laughs> you know, as a twenty, whatever you don't. I think harsh lessons learned there yeah. and a little bit of come back to earth. I launched a three thousand rupee razor. <laughs> been there in terms of people don't pay for things that you love so much yeah yeah so I, I, if that's my biggest stuff you are not the customer <laughs> you please figure out who the customer is so you know yeah built it through school great building it at school right money came from them structure came from them yeah. full classes available to do everything for you so it was it was a great journey came back to India failed beautifully <laughs> Uh, and then found myself exactly where I was I was like oh shit <laughs> what happened I'm full circle when was this 2015, I came, 14 I went, 15 and I came back. Yeah, failed, decided to, actually had money in the bank and said, I'm going to give this back, Uh cannot do this, (laughs) too hard, never again. How much have you raised? Very little, yeah, 300, 400k. Sizable. I mean, for back in the day, it was, we didn't have, you know, so it was, it was interesting, it was nice. It was not working at all. (laughs) You know, nobody was willing to rent, nobody was willing to pay. Um... Then had an opportunity overnight, you know, like one day I got an email, like one of those situations where you say, oh shit, now what? Mm. And I think every time you ask the universe, oh shit, now what? Mm. Something will come, <laughs> you know? So next morning I had this random email in my thing from a, it was Rocket Internet with another private equity firm mm-hmm. saying, hey, we found your profile. We have a business in the Philippines and $3 million. Do you want to go run it? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> what is this business? And they were like, real estate marketplace. And I'm like, hmm. Philippines, real estate marketplace. When do I need to join? <laughs> Three weeks. It's like, hmm. <laughs> I did it. So I was on a flight a week from then. Are you serious? Yeah. And because you're right. This 2015, I'm assuming housing would be big. Like in India was at that time seeing like a lot of these businesses becoming really big very quickly. I didn't do all of that math. Huh. Nothing, none of that happened. I was like, Philippines, real estate, $3 million. Can I build this? What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) Let's do it. You know, and that's all it was. Spent the next four years. Really? Yeah. So built it differently this time. And I think what changed is I went to a country I knew nothing about. Knew no one. Um, Yeah, so just started having conversations, talking to people, asking them, not being the customer, but asking people, and yeah, built a sizable business that today is Philippines and Indonesia's largest real estate marketplace. Wow. We were profitable. We were 10 times more expensive than the next player. That's amazing. And yeah, then 2019, we actually... Was this like a listing? Like a market? When you say a market classifieds, like yeah, it's a classifieds play that pivoted... And both. Yeah, that uh, pivoted, actually not pivoted, but added brokerage. So we also started selling. But I built the classifieds business. We sold it in 2019. We got acquired by a group called EMPT in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. 2019. End. And two months after we sold, uh, the pandemic hit. Yeah. So spent the next six and a half months managing a merger through a pandemic. Okay. It was something else. Yeah, it was imagine. really something else. 
yeah, that's my whole story. I happen to happen to be in Dubai because that's the headquarters of the company. Uh-huh. And that's where I met my other co-founder, Over Coffee. <coughs> I got introduced. Okay. And I met Joel there for coffee in June 2020. Okay. One coffee. And he said, listen, <laughs> I heard you just sold your company. Would you be interested to do something <laughs> with me? And my husband looked at me and he's like, you told me six months you were not going to do anything. You have not finished working for the other company yet. And I'm like, oh, shit, it sounds interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's how Ten Club happened. Joel brought me the idea. I said I was not going to do anything unless we did research, understood everything. So six months, we just asked all the hard questions. My first phone call went to Deepak, like I always do. And I was like, hey, something cool is happening. He was like, okay, let's talk. That's how it happened. We spent you, Deepak, and Joel have started Temple yeah. together. Wow. And there's been two, two and a half years? 15 months. 15 months. So Jan last year was when we officially said pen to paper, let us start. Wow. July was when the money came in. Okay. The teams came in a little earlier because we were quite confident we would raise. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Jan was when we put pen to paper. Mm, April was when the first few team members came in. July was when we closed the money. And, yeah, we've been operating since October last year, so a little less than a year. Wow. Tell me about Deepak, Joel, and you. And before, before that, uh, tell me about your husband. Tell me about my husband. Oh, so sweet. No. Full story, but, like, he's come in bits and pieces through and through, but I don't, don't know his name. I mean, we've been together for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I... I, I yeah, I think some of a lot of the crazy could not have happened without him, in a way where he's the you go fly. Uh-huh. Uh, I met him at first day of Mahindra, so my first gig, first day, he was, was my buddy. Oh really? He was the only person in that office I could talk to. <laughs> so he's like, go take care of that girl. Nobody else can talk to her. But yeah, that's where we met. And what's the name? Sorry. Varun. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was with Mahindra. We've. We were friends for really long. We were dating very different people. Okay. So foundation is friendship. Um, this was Bombay. Yeah. Then I think after Mahindra, he's only had two gigs, Mahindra, and then he moved to Uber. Mm-hmm. He was he launched Uber India, mm-hmm. and back in 2013 he moved to Bangalore, and we happened to get a drink, and we we're like, oh, we're both single now. Great. <laughs> Maybe there is something here. <laughs> But yeah, just he's been there since I was t- 2013. So all my Paris back, Philippines back. We've been on a long distance throughout. And when did you guys get married? 2018. So I think he was visiting me. It's the same style as anything else, right? Both of us, I think we've been together for a while. People were just five years of long distance. Not even the same city, not even the same country. We yeah. were in like different places. But yeah, I think we just woke up one day and we were like, time to get married. Uh, no courage to kind of get the parents to meet. So actually packed both sets of parents away to Sri Lanka on a holiday alone <laughs> without us. <laughs> and we were like, sorry guys, too awkward. <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> Luckily they got along, uh, had a blast. And yeah, two months later, Varun and I found a date at court and got married. Wow. And he's still a Duba? He doesn't like me saying this, but he retired three years ago. Really? Yes, he made his money and... Yeah, he was with Uber for like seven and a half years, seven years. Wow. And made his money, now he climbs mountains. So he spent six months in a year climbing mountains. And the rest of the year, he's in the markets. Wow, that's incredible. But tell me about, tell me about 10 Club. 
what about that club there's so much how, to say how how did, what, what is the genesis of the idea what did joel tell you let me tell you a little bit about joel joel is a american venture capitalist okay sitting out of dubai i think he's 32 i'm not sure never tells me how old he is um just a really nice guy like an overall really chill nice guy um yeah so i met him over coffee and he was like listen there is this entire concept of the roll up play blowing up in the us i've not heard anything in asia yet mm. and this is june 2020 mm. and i think my first reaction to him was listen the lesson i have learned from my life is things that happen in the us that logic does not apply in india <laughs> you know india is a special creature in itself that needs to be understood needs to be nurtured before you do anything so i think that was the genesis of it and i think my condition there was i'm happy to explore this let's spend a lot of time talking to people so it it came down to let's talk so from june to december june to september we spoke to about 400 odd sellers right which is just one hour conversations with different sellers different sectors and we started here seeing patterns we started figuring out what was working what was not uh i still believe the beauty of this model is it cannot be venture backed it is an operating business not it can be tech enabled it's not a tech product which means your growth rates cannot be insane so it's not a pure venture capital equity business right the yeah. beauty of this business is you have to use debt the right way you have to kind of structure working capital it's a pure operating business so i think there were a lot of levers to understand so i think when we started talking to people we started seeing patterns of where everyone is struggling what's happening um i think the second big thing for us was really capital which is is capital like this going to be available in india while i think we made this massive headline about 40 million dollars and all of that i mean i i go public in and i say this right like we are the most frugal company ever <laughs> right for us we have debt we cannot 32 million dollars of what we raised was debt. Okay. 8 million was equity. And I say this on every like every interview every candidate I'm like boss we don't have 40 million dollars to spend. Right? And the understanding is the 32 million was purely for acquisition. You cannot touch it for anything else. Right? So I think that was the interesting mix. Um it was interesting to kind of we spent 8 months getting a American venture debt partner to India. it took us 8 months to figure it out and figure out the entire kind of structure around it but i think all of that was learning so for us we basically said there are four opportunities in india to build for that are large enough there's fashion and lifestyle there's beauty and personal care there is fnb and then there is the enormous home and lifestyle business fashion I think I it was more personal than anything else. I think with Style Bank I was like I don't want to do anything fashion led again in my life. So I will be very honest I was like no and I think in hindsight I was like thank god. Um you know I think big 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 players came in this sector and we didn't touch it. Beauty and personal care we had a lot of conversations with a lot of budding like D2C players. I think what became very clear was it was brand building in India takes money. and i think that game is a very different game and you're going head on with venture capitalists from valuation point of view and you can't build a centralized engine for it you know the answer is it's very personal it's very individual you can't build very large brands 
was our thesis and we were not the people to do it. F&B we didn't even touch. We spoke to many people and we were like, it has the complication of fashion and beauty and much more. Yeah. And then we stumbled upon home and sports and discretionary buying and utility. And I loved it. I, there's nothing sexy about it. It's one of the most boring pieces. Uh, but we realized so much of these discretionary buying were happening on Amazon and Flipkart. A very small sliver was having happening on D2C. The market is so large, so broken, so informal. And because these were not brands but labels, we could buy them cheap, which is we bought our entire portfolio for less than 1x revenue. Give me a sense of what categories you have bought. How many companies have you bought till now? Eight. And t- tell me, give me a sense of the categories. Yeah, so we went very, he- so we went home, kitchen, and sports. Okay. Right? Sports was like a byproduct saying the problem statements are the same. So let's try doing sports also. Sports is what? Like football? So let me break it down. Right? The first business we bought was a kids' room, like soft lines and hard lines business. One of the biggest Amazon sellers for everything to do with kids. We went here because we knew the segment is not as large. It was also a business we knew we would break because we had to learn so much. And we we didn't do majority acquisitions. We did 100% buyouts. So for us, it was literally, here's the money. We buy the whole business. Next day, we run the whole show. Founders are out after that? Everything. So we do clean buyouts. But founders don't stay for even a year, six months, three months? And I think a lot of people ask us this question, right? And again, this is not a brand. And I think that was what was very hard for us to explain, where there were two things for businesses like this, which are marketplace first, right? It was making sure all of your vendor relationships transfer to you because your sourcing lines need to be clear. And the second one is all of your seller accounts. You just need to understand your mapping pricing a little bit. All of that went into diligence for us. right? And we realized that unless we bring this in-house, there's no chance we will run. You know, and if you don't have 100% control in these businesses, there's a lot of financial leakage yeah. because it's cash. And we could not afford that because there's so much debt. So I think for us, we were very clear. Let's buy a small business. Let's break it if we have to, but let's learn. Of course, you know, we had a great relationship with the founders where we were like, listen, here's the money, chill, be available because there are earnouts built in. So there's only a benefit for them to kind of help us. And there's a very strong relationship there, right? And imagine, I mean, you know how hard it is to run a consumer business with a team. These guys are usually single, like single proprietors, you know, running the whole show. So they were all like 15, 16 hour days, seven days a week. And suddenly you're cash rich. And suddenly you have time. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. Everyone's still available on call. Everyone's still available for everything. But I think we were very clear, 100%. How big were these businesses? So you have said eight, eight businesses. So we what did different size. Kids? Kids, but kids what? Sports for kids? Uh, no. So we did kids as in soft lines. Baby blankets, pillows, uh, bed sheets. Okay. Rockers, cradles. So it's called My Newborn. Okay. Everything to, for a baby and a child was basically theirs. We loved it, you know. It's it's a small category and we were willing to play with this category. We broke it. You know, we bought it. We didn't do anything. Then we fully broke it and we then built it back up. Okay. So I don't think this is a business we've exponentially grown, but we've brought back the value that we lost and we learned a lot in the process. I'm simplifying this. The minute you buy, transfer, take full control, mergers are hard. Yeah. And I think it was one of the reasons why... I mean, I don't know any merger that goes extremely smoothly. 
it's very hard to take an entrepreneur and say i'm going to buy your company yeah. and i'm going to tell you how to run it yeah. and i think that that was the fundamental reason we were like listen this is a deep operating business having human variabilities in this is going to just mess it all up so it was a very hard call we took of saying 100% buyout made our life hell but i think it was one of those steep learning curves where okay. everybody's actions counted and we are a very small team we are 45 people mm. and we run the whole show right so that was the first business it was 2 million dollars revenue um the second one we bought was kts craft seed it's a garden and outdoor business that helped amazon india launch the lawn and garden space oh man that's a hard hard business but us like champs we love gorov gorov is the founder he's always available he's completely there 4000 skews right so it was it was an operating like nightmare beautiful 100% buyout again so that was the next business that we bought it's a lot of plants and pots but we'd love to do outdoor furniture and any we do grills now barbecue grills so anything with the outside of the house is that business i think 3 4 million was when we bought it that's how big it was uh the third business was orion um very hard jalandhar based business one of the biggest amazon businesses for home fitness so they do dumbbells punching bags uh weights we love this business because it's heavy and bulky yeah and that is so hard to run as a business in india and i think for us that skill set was deeply interesting to learn struggled again but i think as a business it's been beautiful see again none of these businesses grow 100 200% right i don't know how people claim this in this environment i think for us we've bought cash flow businesses and the idea was buy it out 100% grow it sustainably increase asp all of those impossible things in india do that that's orion for us so everything to do with sports fitness outdoor home gym is orion for us then we bought a very interesting business and all of these are 3 4 million dollar businesses um for us the last one was skadgear very high margin business but i cannot put it in a bucket it's everything which is organizers shelves high margin you know 25% businesses bought it we bought it from a 27 year old founder made a lot of money because it was quite a large business and it was beautiful to see i mean he came from a relatively lower middle class family worked for 6 years day in day out it was beautiful to watch him like cash out he was the only one who said listen this is the baby i built i you know i have i cannot sell it and if i sell it you cannot call me like it's too painful and we were like yeah we understand <laughs> we've done this a few times now so we'll be fine but those are the four big businesses then we got small like 200 300k businesses and we also incubate businesses now so we are like getting a little confident where we are like acha white space let's incubate <laughs> but yeah that's that's a flavor of everything that we have that's amazing so but <clears throat> what strikes me um, bhavna is you buy businesses 100% you could actually buy businesses 51% and still consolidate revenue um you want to take them and build them yourself even though you're a much am i kind of no no i think it's a very fair question that we got asked right i was i have evaluated 20 businesses to buy i despite having a 250 member team capital and the ability to reach channels i am afraid of taking on anything even if it's completely adjacent to my business i'm so scared of acquiring companies for cash 
See, I don't have a very clear answer, right? But anyone you are. So I think there is this fear of will you destroy value? But I think it's super. See, I think Reiki. I don't know. Let me answer this, right? One, and that's what I mean. We have venture capital money, but we have a lot of debt. And that makes you disciplined on a very different level. You know, I think our goal was never to kind of go rake up revenue for the sake of it. And people have done that globally, right? And and that's what I mean by I had so many conversations that I, I spoke to every founder in the US and Europe and I asked them questions saying, listen, I'm going to do this. What do you think I should not do? You know, and even Tra- Carlos, who's the CEO of Tracio, he was really nice to me. You know, he spoke to me many times and he's like, listen, don't buy too fast. Don't buy too many. Do little, learn. Do little, learn. There is no hurry. Right? And I think a lot of people, because they had capital, they just started buying businesses. And this 51%, the issue is, how will you buy the remaining? And you're going to spend a lot more to buy the remaining, right? You need the remaining. I mean, in a business like ours, that's not a brand. It's a label. It's a PNL label. If you have financial control, it's okay, right? Like, what? what it's I mean, a control I guess the question right? here is, yeah. So I think the question here is, what does the founder do? I find it almost impossible to believe anyone can run my company without me. That's impossible. exactly why I think there is an issue with letting ca- uh, equity be on the table. The so answer is you're today, constantly example, fighting a battle with a founder and the deal is you buy the company to change it, right? In a way where they've built an incredible business, right? But there is no data. There is no technology. There is undercutting at different places. You know, people don't get... I mean, there are many I regulatory get, issues, right? My issue is my issue is you're, you're buying a black box. How, however deep diligence, we yeah, both yeah, know yeah, how yeah. diligences work, right? However deep your diligence is, it will never tell you the picture of the business until you start getting purchase orders and start making payments. Ever. Right? Even if you get access to AMS, this, that, and the other, there is, I mean, founders can always tell great stories. Yeah. And at that moment, if you have, at least what I've seen work with acquisitions is, if you have founders whose incentives are aligned to yours as a majority owner, boss, we have bought this at 3 million, and the remaining 49%, we have a call put option, at at six million this multiple at ten million this multiple and as a as as an acquirer you have to keep capital kind of shored up for going from fifty one to seventy five to hundred is what I believe is the best way to ensure growth. But you've taken a lot on yourself as a fifteen month old company buying large distributed businesses in dif- distributed geographies in distributed categories uh, and isn't it a lot of pressure on on debt that too? There's debt, there's distributed dis- uh, category, there's distributed geography, there's a black box business which you kind of take 100% and then you have to figure it out, break it down and build it up as you said. So I think there are many answers to this, right? Lot of fric- like, is, is it a lot of friction you've taken on, your, on yourself which may not have been required? Yeah, so I think the answer is two, threefold, right? Um, one, debt partners need primary charge when they help acquire a business. How does that play out with a founder in the mix, right? I think there are many such operating details of, uh, I think there's that. I think the second one is, 
it's not that hard. So the answer was, you know, I think people make it out to be a little harder than it is. Did we struggle? Of course. But I think the answer is the fact that we're running this business with 45 people and we run the whole show end to end. We do everything in-house. The reason we learned so fast, my entire leadership is still here. Nobody has left. Everyone's changed roles. Everyone's gone through hell. But it's that cycle, right? You come in, you say it's going to be awesome. Then you go through, a, like we have that joke where you go through like, oh my God, everything is breaking. And then you come back and you're like, oh, you know, it's okay. So I think that's the answer. Um, I think there are a lot more regulatory reasons of why we couldn't do just leave anything on the table. I think it's from a revenue return point of view, the way the debt is structured, capital yes. call, all of that. And net-net, uh, Upper 90 is an investor in us. Um, they were the first check into Thrasio. They've invested in 16 businesses of this nature globally. This is all they do, right? And I think one of their biggest things were don't go buy 10 companies. Go buy four. Break one. Take that learning, do it on the next, <coughs> and see how you can start replicating it. Because if the minute you have founders, they will want to do it their way. And we started seeing that very easily, right? And I have been on the other end, Real you know? Founder, yeah. And so has Deepak. And the answer is, when you sell your company, you, you want to hit the person, <laughs> you know? And I think that's all of those things were the ones that we negated. And we said, listen, we hired really senior people very early. And today where I stand, I'm almost confident our operations are bulletproof. Like, with this, we can do a buy and integration in 30 days now with our eyes closed. Because we went through hell. <laughs> and now we know. What are, what are the enabling commonalities you have off the top of my head? Like, yeah. I'm just trying to understand yeah, yeah, your yeah. business, right? I'm assuming warehousing, for example, would be where you could share. Um, you could share performance marketing at some level relationships with some of these e-commerce are these e-commerce first businesses they're only e-commerce they're only marketplace first businesses you don't want to build D2C for them or you Later. don't want to build so I think the choices of staggering have been um, we only paid money for Amazon businesses only right and you know why yeah. so I think the answer for us was we were reducing variability by not going too wide yeah. with operations so for us, we were very clear in six months of operating, which is Jan, which when we really seriously started because September to December, we just did acquisitions and it was sale month. So we said, don't break anything, don't touch anything. But January was when we started like seriously integrating, seriously like breaking things. Um, cloud tail went down, so that was fun. <laughs> I mean, that was a different period altogether. But I think the answer there was, so we, we work on a hub and spoke model. There are, each business has one GM or key account person. They are the marketplace facing. Their only role is like, okay, Amazon. Now, how do I take this to Flipkart? What can I take to the other marketplaces? We run 10 marketplaces today. Okay. Right? So we've, of course, Amazon and Flipkart give us the most. But our goal was this year, conquer marketplaces. And then next year, get into D2C. It also comes with complications of positioning, packaging, what messaging, are people willing to pay the right price? The honest answers for this segment, no. Right? So I think before you go jump into D2C, you need to kind of create your backend and your foundation. And then there is an opportunity. Like today, we deal with 150 vendors, right, for our portfolio. We were at zero six months back. So I think now with everyone, you get better. So to answer your question, 
the central function, let me talk about operations, is head by Vikas. Vikas was with Coke India for 19 years running their backend. I think it's his first startup gig. It was super interesting. Joined us in April last year. Did everything from Excel sheet to setting up, going to warehouse and counting. He is super senior, yeah. right? So mad respect for that, right? Which is literally at one of the Jalandhar warehouses counting and putting stock in, right? That, that's what he was doing. And now he has a pretty incredible team. Um, so he does the marketplace ops, which is all the optimization, all the inventory planning, all the procurement, all the NLCs, all of the COGS, all of that, right? So that's completely him. So inward, storage, outward, all of that. Everything okay. is under him. And he has a full 20-member team. team that runs that. Uh, we actually ran our own warehouses till very recently, and that was hell. Um, That's how you asked me about KDL. And yeah, and I was like, dude, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> uh, but now we do it just like you, which is we have a professional service, but we have our people managing it. So that's the most robust part of yeah. our business. And we realized for the category that we're in, if we don't get this right, there's no point about anything else. But this is a low-complexity function, right? What do you mean? Like variables are known. Supply chain is, so you would know. You would know, you, you would do demand planning, like the businesses would drop, are, are growing concerns, right? So you would probably know the SKUs, you would know what the cost base is, you would know what kind of COGS or gross margin upside you want to get. Yeah. You would know how much space you have. Yeah, you like just, for me, supply you chain just, is like 5% of my gender. You don't have as many SKUs as us. We have 7,800 SKUs <laughs> across the portfolio. Is yeah, it's a very interesting question huh. and I have an answer for that, huh. right? I think the answer here is, when you buy these businesses, the only way they were growing were by adding new products, right? So it was not very deep products. Correct. And that is the function of a marketplace approach where you're, you don't have a brand position yet, right? So for us, the answer was we were very clear. We were like, let's create the operational base first. Home discretionary buys and spots are very informal sectors. People are not willing to pay for this. Correct. So there is no point going and sinking money, building a D2C business yet. This is a pure shelf kind of business, which is, it's a discretionary buy that you come onto Amazon along with two other things. You will put something else in your bag and that is the market you want to capture. For us, that is a cash flow game right now. And hence, there is the legacy of getting the SKUs. Do we look at it from a function of exactly what you said, which is what are your value creators? That becomes my D2C product. Then there are my, you know, my less margin high DRR ones, which are a pure performance marketing cash flow ones. There is the high margin one, low DRR, which is my deal business. Yeah. So I think it's a journey. The answer is we've got all of this. We will get our best sellers from here and then we will build brand on top of that. But isn't brand the value creator? If you buy something for 1x, the only way you can scale it in terms of value creation is if you are able to create brand and brand is a proxy for one of two things, either High, high premiums, which yeah. lead to higher margins, or high repeat rates, which lead to higher lifetime value. Mm. That's why brands are what they yeah. are, which is where you, you'll take a 1x multiple to a 4x, 5x, 6x, whatever, depending on the category you're in. Uh, but that, that is, that those, that's where I struggle when yeah, I, I yeah, no, no. Where like at least, uh, you know, even with Thrasio or all yeah. of the new models uh, in, in, in India, the question I have is, I still, and I, I mean, it's a yeah, personal thing. Yeah. I struggle with creating value through one brand. Yeah. What products to add? How do I get consumer insight? 
how should those products be differentiated the only way brands work is if your offering is differentiated across one of either price product whatever right yeah but as and you're only three founders so how do three founders do this for businesses that are inherited yeah and so wide in scale like yeah. you joel and deepak probably need to spend most of your time in value creation mm. not running the business i'm assuming running the business can be done by the yeah, yeah. and so on but how do you how do you guys think about creating value for these eight brands or eight commoditized businesses that you want to convert to brands how do you do yeah, it yeah so i think it's a very interesting question and i don't know if i want to go into details of this because it's very confusing and then we get asked 20000 questions i think my answer is very simple right i think we have to look at india as a market and you we need to be very honest about what percentage of india is actually the d2c market right and i don't know the answer for that i'm sure you do because i've got a different number from everybody and for me d2c is not marketplace right it is of course there is value that's created on marketplace but when you look at a category like home right home kitchen sports which brand can you think of that's digital first that has made it yeah. and why is that and i think i read your linkedin post about cac and ltv no yeah <laughs> right when you have so many market like so many different channels of distribution how can you you live in those times where you can't keep track of yeah. who's buying it yeah. right and you and me today will we really take the effort to go on to a home d2c business to buy like a bull no we won't but discretionary buys are very large part of pocket spend correct you know and the answer is if you're building this business you need to crack this you need to crack being available for when they want to purchase yeah. 80% of any kind of purchase in the digital space in these categories happens on Amazon, Flipkart and the other channels. Correct. Right? For me I'm optimizing for that right now. But, but that's fine, but even there, let's say it's Amazon only. Yeah. If your brand is cut gear, is Amazon yeah, yeah. only, it's 2% of category. Yeah. You want to take it to 15% of category yeah. and increase price by 25%. Yeah. It requires it Okay, requires so let me let me let me give you I think it's a very fair question and I think the answer here is I don't look at any of these I call them labels I don't call them brands right I don't call Scud Gear KTS Orion a brand yet they're businesses and they're labels mm. right the beauty here is they're not brands mm. and hence no one's getting penalized yet for quality and that is what's broken in this ecosystem right now right because everyone's playing the price game 20% off 30% off which means where do you start building quality and you can only slap a brand on something that there is a quality check for yeah. and that market is still evolving it will get there right i mean beauty is very new yeah. as a concept it's really just explored in the last 4 5 years dramatically right and that's a new shift mm. i think the time for this sector is around the corner it's the only it's a 100 billion opportunity in india wow so commodities so you are saying that it's an unorganized unbranded space of purchase purchase that is happening very less than 1 or 2% is happening online and that is either dominated by old school legacy brands like a kitchen you will talk about a borosil or a celio yeah. right but the long tail is so long and so fragmented and there's no differentiation that that is your opportunity yeah. but the answer there is that space is not willing to pay the price for what you need to correct quality yet 
So in the meantime, for us, the answer is to answer your simple question. We've bought businesses. We've put it in. We now have information. We now have data. We now have vendor supply sources. We have all of the foundational needs, right? From For us, growth comes from taking it to a flip card, taking it to other channels, which are equally important and have a very different consumer base, right? And then you start learning what products are working. And exactly like you said, a very small segment of our products are value creators on some platforms, which means they have the right DRR and they're making us money. Mm. And there is a potential to kind of, where, you know, we, we upgrade features, you know, we upgrade products. We, of course, spend money on the winning products and we're like, let's test it. And now we've started slapping brands as a test on some and seeing, right? So I think these are all test cases and we're building our foundation of saying, as we have our winners from this, we will create brands and I don't think any of these will be Scud Gear or KTS. We will create our own I mean I'm I think we can create an IKEA out of India, which is digital first. And I think that's that's the goal here. An IKEA or a decathlon which are di- digital first. How will you do it when you're doing when you're running eight, ten, fifteen brands? Because, because I don't run it as eight, ten, fifteen brands. Maybe that is where everybody's getting a little lost. Right? Our entire team works on all businesses except the one manager who deals with uh, marketplaces. So all of our backend is by the same same team, right? Vikas and team. Our entire pricing is done for the whole portfolio. It's the same logic. Uh, our entire performance marketing team is central, which runs the whole portfolio. Uh, we have the catalog team that runs works across the portfolio. So we don't have eight different teams. We have 40 people who work on everything, that's the problem, no? For yeah. me, if, there's, if everyone is working on everything, yeah, then no one is working on one thing. There are five people that are P&L holders. Okay. Each of them are assigned only one brand. So KTS has one GM. Uh, they control pricing. More than anything else, they are basically the nook that holds everything together. Who is looking at the consumer insight for product development slash new launches slash campaigns to build brand we're not building uh, brand yet i okay. think that is the ha, so if okay so if you're not building brand you're building revenue mm. you're building revenue okay again just yeah, for, yeah, no, forgive for my go, complete no, amateur no, understanding of uh because I, I come from a very different it is so i think it's very you know anything and i think it's something that i've started enjoying right because i see the how can you do this without a brand how can you do this without a brand I think our thesis is a little upside down and we're like, listen, we're building everything else. We need to fix quality. We need to fix packaging before you can slap anything on anything. And we're in the process of discovery where today I sell skipping ropes that are 79 rupees and 2,800 rupees and everything in the middle, right? And the honest answer is nobody has data points anywhere on what the consumer is willing to pay. Yeah. And we're collecting that. So the answer is, because I don't have a brand yet, there is so much that is forgiven and it's beautiful. Do you think you will crystallize out of this three or four brands that you will say, okay, because brand is where yeah, you yeah, get valuation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You will not get it. I don't think you get, I don't think you will, you will get it through operational excellence. 100%. 100%. you will get it when you build yeah. out brands that people pay more for yeah, yeah. and more people buy constantly. Yeah, yeah. So you, your bet today, you, Joel and Deepak's bet is, of all the businesses you buy, you'll 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 convert coal to diamond in a way. Hundred percent. Right? By kind of cleaning up all yeah. the yeah. inefficiencies. Yeah. But that is still 
that will, let's say you buy a 3 million business, you clean up an inefficiency, you'll take it from 3 to 7 million. Mm. So create 4 billion of value. Mm. You're not create disproportionate value, right? 7 to 70 million of value will happen if you're able to convert that clean vanilla business into a brand, hopefully. Because you're still thinking, I think that's, that's where there is an issue, right? Um, see, I've not gone wide with my offerings. I've bought only home and kitchen and I have bought only sports. For me, we will build two brands. Okay. Right? One in home, one in sport. Ah, so this is a, Everything this is a goes into that, right? And the answer is, if I had to challenge what somebody did out there building a home and kitchen business, mm. this is my theory and I can be completely wrong. And it goes back to this conversation, right? You acquire a customer. This customer buys from you once. Unless you have deep range, they're not buying again from you for anything. These are not repeat purchases. Right, So you have to have range. And with home, where you start bleeding is CAC, of course, because you can't account for repeat very quickly. Two, your back-end logistics, you bleed because this is heavy and bulky goods. And if you don't plan it well, you never make money. So I think our answer to all of this is we are focused in a way where we're doing home, and that is our big bet. There is sports, which is our second bet. And the answer is they're very similar yeah. from an operating model point of view. Yeah. And we're going to build one brand each. So everything's going to converge under one. Okay. And that is already in the works. So the answer is we're doing our back end. We don't have to go out there and do consumer research anymore because we're seeing where the 75 traction is and the 2000 traction is. Returns are a great information. So I think nobody has any of this information. And we're sitting on quite a healthy business which is profitable yeah. right so the answer is i'm not putting money back into yeah. these businesses to run them again the answer is i'm not in a hurry to get this to 200 percent growth or 300 percent growth right the answer is we've got our main working machine we have to take this to new channels we're learning every day about where price points are we're learning what's working and what's not working this information does not exist but uh, on brands one of the things that I struggle with is, yeah. is this Bombay Shaving Company or not? For example, yeah. any decision. Is this store a Bombay Shaving Company store? Is this product a Bombay Shaving Company product? Is this consistent with our current brand language, our current brand offerings, our current consumer group? How do you, when you, and this is when you build a brand top down, but you're building a brand bottom up, which is a very interesting way to do yeah. it, right? Which is a Solimo or a, yeah. you know, an Amway kind of, which is yeah. a whole collection of thousands yeah. of SKUs, by the way. But we'll figure out a way to make them consistent. Yeah. So for you right now, it's about consistency in offerings and culling out stuff that may not work in the in the Uber two brands. I think India is so large. Um, I want to build a ma a brand for 40 million, 50 million consumers in India at minimum. Mm -hmm. I don't want to build it for two, three million consumers, right? Um, I think this category deserves a 40, 50 million consumer play and not. It's not just a price game, it's a volume game. Understood. Right? And I think it's an interesting way to build it. And I think what we're, what we're very clear we're doing is we're operating, we're making money right now. And that's what I'm trying to say. We're, not, we're going with zero assumptions. And maybe this comes from me, right? Saying if you say this is what my brand stands for, you start looking at only that. Yeah. But here literally millions of data points are telling you what people are willing to pay, what's going wrong, what to correct, how much quality to expect, you know? And I think that's very different for this category, which is yeah. uh, 
people will pay 400 rupees and maybe they're okay with it lasting for 8 months you don't have to give them a product that lasts for 3 months 3 years so you know i think that is my simple answer and yeah there is a lot of where is the brand where is the value and well i agree who is building such a large business here right now let us collect the data and we'll show you data points of right now we're making money you know we'll keep making mistakes we'll keep making money the data is telling us very clearly what's working and what's not no it's very interesting na it's, it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing bet because what you're saying is you'll convert commoditized categories into brands you'll figure that out which is i think fair yeah yeah it is frictional at this very yeah, yeah, very yeah, very yeah, think yeah. of this as a very um, noob assessment but the belief is that you will brand commodities you will co- create synergies of consumers and operational excellence like you're talking about and over time you'll crystallize a focus hundreds skews that you'll be like this is my 80% of my business here are the two brands by the way consumers are shared across and now i'm across 10 channels and i've taken you you put in all 40 million into acquisitions no chance okay if you put an x into acquisition if you put no no i'll x. give you the numbers right i see that's the answer there's no hurry to huh. do anything here um we've used only 6 million of the debt so 6 million at 1x is basically 6 million of revenue you've kind of bought we bought in. more than that so we used equity also for buying we did we did 50% equity 50% 12 million of companies you've bought we bought 10 million of companies we've grown it to much more huh. what what have you grown it to we grew it by 70% this year so you've grown from 10 million to 17 million basically yeah 17 with positive cash flows did you always buy positive cash flow business or is the positive cash flows increase also no so it in- decreased increased everything so i think the answer is i didn't give you an absolute number but the answer is we don't take fresh capital and infuse it to grow the businesses we rotate cash flows between businesses right. to make it happen and that's the goal here absolutely right which is we are in an inflationary environment i mean <laughs> cogs is insane <laughs> shipping is crazy but i think the answer is you mix and match in month on month it changes no, that's amazing like bank i think you have a very 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 uh, tempted to buy a cash flow business because they're the zero mortality and zero liability businesses uh the question is can you grow something which you have not like which you don't understand fully for me like we had some ayurveda business etc i like me ko aata nahi yaar but you have a see i think that's and again right it's a very unusual process and i think what people need to understand is the people who bet on us were fireside they're uh-huh. pure brand guys yeah right so when we told them this they were like oh shit this is crazy what what are you saying but i think there is a thesis to this right which is why are there so many graveyards in the home space yeah. that right and i think that's a question many people have to ask is because this is a pure operating business that you have to get right then you need to take your bets i have 6000 whatever 7000 excuse today i can launch a brand in jan with 100 200 300 400 products and i have that information yeah. and i can spend the next one year building it and i think the answer is india can never have one brand answer for everything right like i think question for us is will we be able to do a slightly more premium play and can we do a slightly more mass play and we have all of the back end operation and we then focus our energies on launching this one brand that can cater to both and we already have the information that tells us which product is working and how much people are willing to pay let me ask you the question yeah word so now that we're 48 hours into your viral post <laughs> and i'm just like wow to a point where my mother sends me the message saying what is what is your opinion about an 18 hour work day yeah. and i'm like oh wow this got really viral how do you feel i mean i think there's a thing that there's an opinion and there's always everybody's opinion that comes in but i guess this one got a little more than how are you reacting how are you feeling after all of that 
thick skin that you say you have i do have thick skin i like if you, I, i've been in meetings all day yesterday i was fully productive i went to sleep on time i exercised in the morning i genuinely it's not affected my happiness at all i do feel two three things i think my eyes opened up a little bit to it when my best friend messaged me saying hey i don't agree with you and mm. i was i was i was like why mm. he like you and i've been with him he's been mm. a banker with toxic bosses for many years and he said when i read this i felt like i felt belittled at my workplace and i like that's an interesting point of view i didn't think about that because i think that message for someone who is working hard doing their best in a situation where the environment is genuinely toxic and or they have a bad boss etc came across as i think i represented all the bad bosses in in and i don't sure. blame people for thinking that so that's when i realized okay fine i think context was narrow and nuance was needed however i think and i've been disagreed with a lot and sure. i'm very comfortable yeah. with it and i'm honestly i have a lot of conviction in my point of view and genuinely i i also change my point of view very easily i'm not sure. someone who's very yeah. stubborn intellectually yeah. but this time i think what happened was i the leap people made from entrepreneur to slave owner was quick mm. right and then it became a it became a very it became a very venting place for people to say you know it and i think i worded it also fairly casually i i should not have done that i think i worded it as rona dhona mat karo you know put in all the effort 18 hour work days which i think i just meant to say you know take it on the chin and be relentless because you have maximum opportunity minimum responsibility hmm. you have a max energy at a 22 23 year old yeah kaam karo don't don't be distracted uh but i, I think for me uh, bhavna it became a little tricky when parents started getting whatsapp messages saying you've raised a slave owner hmm. or you know hate of that nature which hmm. becomes difficult to explain defend you don't know how to deal with it and people in your company are very conflicted because they're like this guy is a really chill. like honestly i'm a chill guy very with my yeah. company though very chill um so i think it led to more complication than it's worth i don't think the opinion were it's not like so once the emotions settle which it will right i mean we all have the attention span of uh, a lizard of butterfly <laughs> i don't even know what right like the next thing is going to blow up do you feel like after you reflect on this because it's you've touched a nerve right and with unintentionally touched a nerve you would have not been like this you would have been a little bit more careful i'm sure now that we've had a conversation mm-hmm. i'm sure you're not you know you will not be inconsiderate if that's the word i can use yeah. but i think that's the answer would you do you feel like going back and saying hey you know i put it like any other post and here are my lessons that i learned which is here's the good this was my intent but i realized that this is what i was Do you feel like people are more forgiving in a way where they'll come back and they'll say okay emotions have passed and now here's my statement that I've put across and it's a lesson I learned which is what I did today uh, but but you said I'm never putting up another linkedin post that yeah. is just stupid <laughs> <laughs> that is like I'm going to do more drama here <laughs> you will not hear anything from me but that's not the answer it's not worth it the hate was not worth it ah, i don't derive that's an interesting i don't derive any benefit from putting on linkedin neither does my business i don't get paid for it sure I don't get real validation. But I mean then going back to why did you do it? And I think all of us are doing it f- at least people who are putting out thoughts that are borderline not diplomatic. Yeah. Is coming from a place of hey here's my opinion that no one else seems to be voicing yeah. and I'm doing it for the small sect of people who want to hear this. Correct. Right? So that is it was feeding you back some level of hey this is me doing better or this is me trying to do my bit. No no I agree. I I did it because I felt like 
my candor was needed by people or i had mentorship access to mentorship and advice which a lot of people today may not have directly hmm. so this was my way of yeah. kind of giving it i just felt like i can continue doing that but publishing pub- publicly where you are vulnerable to um being misinterpreted people not people who don't know you at all kind of just everyone has a voice uh, and without context it becomes you suffer like i suffered for the last 24 hours i can tolerate it but i don't think it's worth it so i think all. there's a lesson there right and that's what i want to i'll i'll push you and i'll ask you why yeah. i'm asking you this right because i think there are two ways to look at this situation right one you hit a nerve and now you know that this is a big problem and it seems to be like a underlying problem that everybody has a deep opinion on it's troubling everybody in some way for me i would have looked at this as damn i hit a gold mine you know now let me shut up for some time and then let me start asking people questions about how to solve for this how do you help people understand what they want because this seems like a universal problem that everyone seems to have such a deep opinion on yeah i only say this because let me flip it into my favorite topic right yeah. is it's damn hard to be a woman in the ecosystem right and i'm not founder of course i think founders is hard but i think anyone right because you're getting into a system where you think talk differently your opinions are different yeah. you know now you have a choice you state your opinion it can be in the most polite way but the person opposite you chances are does not resonate with you and does not agree with you and hence the backlash is hard which is your discomfort has been extreme but imagine doses of this discomfort yeah. every day right and it is the reason why people fall off at different points right and i think that's my question where if people like you say man this is too much this is where i say or you take it and you process it and you say should i hit a nerve now how do i be more diplomatic about saying i'm going to solve this i think that's that's the way i look at a bunch of these problems which is when people react so badly you know there's a fire there yeah and then you're like oh damn that is <laughs> that is what i'm going to solve over the next few months and i may not do it directly but i'll find people to do it no i agree with you so i i i'm i don't want to go into a shell become yeah. part of etc my only reservation is to publicly post things i will continue to invest i will continue to mentor i'll continue to be part of social situations but trolls exist yeah trolls are part of life <laughs> i know it's it's a personal question right i mean it's something no, I that I, i ask myself all the time i'm like i mean because we spoke about funding i'll tell you i think ah. the piece that i made see i got into the big boys game <laughs> i went for the big shot and i'm no. like dude <laughs> and i tell everybody who this who joins my company right i'm like 90% chance of failure is there that mm. is on day 0 right next you have joined a company that has three co-founders but a woman ceo yeah and capital comes to the ceo yeah whatever anybody yeah. says capital comes to the ceo 2% best capital comes to women so 90% chance of failure 2% capital pool <laughs> you decide if you're willing to take this risk yeah. right and i think that's a very open conversation and it's almost like something that i've made sure in my head right and the answer is and we have a standing joke in our company which is One in hundred pitches potentially see success. Is that the metric for men? With women, it's one in three hundred, right? So in my head, I'm like three hundred pitches I have to do to close a round. Yeah. Now you make peace with it, right? Which is 
how do you start enjoying this processing? You know, it is what it is. The odds are stacked against you, but if people like you and me don't do it, who will do it? How do you push the needle a little bit? Yeah. I sometimes wonder whether it's worth it. That's the only question because... I, I mean, if I had yeah, asked myself right. this question, yeah, I would right. be sitting some beach right now. I was like, life is too short for this <laughs> crap. No, your, your context is absolutely right. So I'll, I'll think harder about it. You, you should. Made, you, you made me think harder about it. My current belief is I lose nothing. My life continues the same way. I just don't take this pain. But are life is... I mean, yeah. So, I mean, my friends joke, right? They think... Like, one of my closest friends looked at me that day. I was going through a shit day. Uh. Some dude had said something really shit to me. And like, full anger. And she was like, why are you being this activist? Why? why? She's like, can't you just shut up and do your job? Why are you fighting everybody's battles? And I'm like, dude, if I don't fight... I mean, you know... Yeah... Yeah, I have nothing hurts. to lose, which yeah. is, I have a great life. I have a great set of friends. Yeah. I have, I'm in okay health. Yeah. Some people say that, right? That uh, talking or speaking your mind hurts. So don't do it, which is yeah. where I'm kind of whatever. I'm in that park for this, you know, this temporary phase of my life. But staying quiet hurts more. It'll hurt you more, I think. Yeah, that's the issue. It didn't hurt on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. I kind of don't miss that at all. LinkedIn, I might because it's it's a place where I genuinely feel I, I yeah. reach people professionally, founders, etc. It's it's the it's the the trigger for the barbershop was was the fact that on LinkedIn people started saying, "Hey, we want to learn more. We want to know more." I would engage with other founders who would like put stuff up, and then there would be like long threads, and I'm like, "Cool, that's interesting conversations." I, I'll miss. I think I'll miss LinkedIn a lot. Hundred percent, you'll miss it. <laughs> I'm yeah. one. One hundredth of what you do because it's very early. But we spoke about this, right? For me, I realized that it doesn't affect my business in any way. Yeah. It doesn't get me money. On the contrary, it actually... And I'll tell you the truth. Like, after a bunch of pitches, the feedback that's come back is, Are, Bhavna's very vocal. She will say too many things. It's too dangerous. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been asked to tone it down. I've been asked to be more diplomatic. Money, na- money will not come. And I'm like, man, don't you think all of these are excuses? I mean... Fuck. Yeah, so I think the answer is there are different reasons, but then you have to choose your. You need one in three hundred. So yeah, but tell me about tell me about about, and I know you will be asked this on every panel discussion <laughs> on every interview, but I wanted to get yeah. deeper because it's a topic that that I think I care about fundamentally for two three reasons. I think I've failed mm. in women representation at Bombay Shaving Company at the senior levels. Mm. Management team of fifteen sixteen people, only two women. Mm. We fundamentally struggled because we were a men's business for the longest time. Mm. So recruiting women was hard. We, we At the overall level, we have, I think, 45% women at a company level. At the senior level, we have fewer. Um, and we want to change that. At an investor level, we have around 35 investors. Only one. Or you have 35 investors? A lot of angels, right? Ah. 20, 25 angels. But all men, only two women. So I know this metric, and I should check again. Um, Angel is somebody, and I I was actually trying to do some work, and then I was like, too early, I need to first focus on my business, (laughs) and then I'll do this, because I don't have more than 24 hours a day. But the system is broken from the angel investment round, right? I mean, we talk about, I mean, it's a whole cycle, right? And I don't know where to start addressing this. So let me start with women itself, right? And it goes back to the theory that I spoke about how you're brought up. And as parents, if you start protecting your daughter, and unfortunately, India is not the safest for women. You know, there are problems women face that 
most people can't comprehend yeah. you know when you walk down the road men never have to worry about being groped or stared at you all don't understand how invasive that is right and all of us start normalizing it like if you if you stay outside and you come back the first few days you're like why the is everyone staring at me and then after a month you don't feel it and after 6 months it's zoned out yeah. right and that's survival right but it's always at the back of your head i think my standard joke has been when men get into a cab and women get into a cab women are like freaking alert <laughs> you know men actually pass out and i'm like dude how does this, how could this man sleep it's so great you know such fundamental issues and because of all of this the way we bring up our daughters is very different you know we protect them we take care of them when it gets a little hard sometimes you say it's okay don't worry about it it's coming from concern and care and love it's not coming from you're not adequate enough and i say this to all my friends who are parents now right i'm like man i love your child but please make your child resilient like don't pro- overprotect your child will not break you know but let your daughter fall let her pick up her own stuff let her fight let her learn because the more you protect the more she's going to get worried and this happens at different stages right this happens at where you go to study what you go to study um a lot of times after marriage these are breaking points right because they're like hey why should you work you know it's difficult you know and it's i don't think it's coming from we don't want you to succeed it's it's difficult yeah don't do it you know we can afford to like you know and all of these are points where it breaks and I mean if you look at our numbers what our numbers have fallen to what 6 7% yeah, right crazy so i have a conversation with somebody on my team who's getting married and wants to drop off who is having a child and wants to drop off doesn't want to come back after maternity leave and i understand but i think my single role is getting onto that call and saying dude if you fall off now you're doing yourself the biggest disservice we will figure it out with you but have a conversation before you throw the towel in and say i'm done I think that's that and I think that's the second thing which I struggle with a lot which is um you know I think I talk about being this fearless so much because I think women are really afraid to fail and it's conditioning right I think there is if you fail somebody will come protect you and say stay at home you know so I think that I love watching young like founders and men be so carefree right they're like ah pick shit I'll fail and move on to the next thing very few women talk like that very few and i think that's the biggest hurdle to get women into the ecosystem because there's so much pressure of what happens if i fail will i be allowed to do this again will i be protected you know and i think that that is my thesis of the underlying thing that's that's an incredible point of view because and the more you, the more you say it, the more i think about uh women friends of mine who are entrepreneurs <clears throat> there is also women are also on a weirdly strict clock we are very time poor you know one is because parents will tell you to come at a particular yeah. hour for safety etc then biologically yeah you have to have a child by yeah. x if you want a child if you don't want that's fine yeah. but if you want to have a child by 34 35 latest and that's that's how yeah, biology yeah. is but again i'm sure a lot of this time bound things kind of which is why women are generally more disciplined than men on time just generally we are time poor yeah right like i mean it takes you 5 minutes to get ready yeah take small things like that right which it takes women 30 35 minutes to get ready approximately you're wasting that much time yeah there are so many things that add up and i think what you said see i think the troubles is not just work 
there's social trouble, there is pressure on the outside, there is safety trouble. There's so much of the other hard stuff that adds up that collectively you're like, man, what can I give up? Yeah. But that's short-lived, right? I think any woman you meet, the minute you lose financial control, you start giving up on a lot of other things. So I think it's a vicious cycle and it's a hard one and it's a hard one. And I think it's as much on women to correct it. And I really hope more women start and fail and just just say big shit. Yeah. It's okay, yeah, I know. You know, just big shit. Like nobody cares. Everybody has attention span of lizard. Yeah, and also like for example, angel investing, the propensity a woman would have at the same income levels to put some amount of capital into Risk averse, right? right? Yeah. Risk averse. It's much lower. I always wonder. I was actually trying to start something and then I was like, again, like I said, sometime in life I'll do it. I think there are 100 active angel investors in women in India today. 100. That's how many there are. 100 and they write very, I could be wrong, but I got this number from AngelList. There are 10,000 or 12,000 active angel investors in India, active, of which 100 are women. Only 1%. Lesser than. And that's where it's broken. I remember a friend of mine, Shalab. I don't know whether you know Shalab, who uh, now is the chief growth officer at Noise. Okay. Ran his own company called Kiva. Akiva. Okay. He used to make yeah. shorts yeah. and all that. He's a very good friend. And he had taken a new office for Akiva at that time in a OYO, uh, you know, co-working space. Mm. And we were just generally talking. And he was one of the most thoughtful people I know. Mm. And he said, dude, I never realized that typically real estate, office real estate people will assign the same number of, same square footage to a male bathroom as to a female bathroom. But there are three stalls in the female bathroom. But in the men, there are six or eight urinals. Men typically take less than 45 seconds to do their job and leave. Women will go close the door, take off the clothes. So it's probably three, four minutes yeah. at the very minimum. They're wearing sari even more, plus less a number. So there is a long line. So for a woman to pee, takes 15 minutes in my office. For a guy to pee, takes a minute. Why can't, why is the allocation equal? <laughs> Men should have 30% because that's how you, I'm like, that is so true. <laughs> and then you're like, ye to har cheez mein hota hoga I was like, no, that is so true. But it's true. That is, it, it accumulates. And I think the standing line is that, right? Where time poor. We're time poor and hence everything, we're quite efficient that way, right? We like start deciding things. We're like, chalo, chalo, jaldi, jaldi. But that's it. It all accumulates, right? Imagine taking two, three hours of your day away. And it, it accumulates. So I think there are many reasons. And again, I don't want to say, I think we all have to accept that the system is broken. I think it's changing and it's changing beautifully. Is it changing fast enough? I don't think so. And I think people... I actually on my website, I don't know if you've seen it, and it's hilarious. I wear a feminist t-shirt. Ah. And, yes, I have. Right? Um, and the amount of drama I got for it, I was like, guys, come on. <laughs> you know, I've not even started operating. Don't tell me what to do. This is my truth. This is what's going to drive me. If people are going to get upset that I'm calling myself a feminist, they need to read and see what it means. Right? I have... I have a fully male board. I have two male co-founders. I have a pretty damn good male founding leadership team i respect all of them some of my closest friends are the most incredible men my husband is an incredible man so it's not like i'm anti-men in any way <laughs> you know i'm very pro-men and i'm very pro-men who want to be allies and bring change and generally i'm i talk more harshly to women and i'm like dude you need to like you know keep up don't give up you know so i think it's you hold your ground and say and i think my answer to this is I don't have a brand yet, so 
so very <laughs> little to lose <laughs> no that's not true that's not true i think it requires a serious amount of courage because um i think how do i say this i think the backlash on women who are vocal is 100 times more brutal than the backlash that for example i got recently i don't think it's even close to what happened so i'll tell you a, it's not a secret i don't have to name her one of a very very senior reporters basically called me and they hound me every every 3 months i'm selling to somebody else from what i know right like <laughs> every 3 months they tell me who i'm selling to i'm like acha okay <laughs> you know fine <laughs> okay i'm selling run the story uh, you know and i'm like i get your business man you need clickbait uh, headlines go for it um but you know i had a drink with her very recently and it was the first time i met her and i was like and some of the stories from the last <sighs> this is a little controversial but i'm just going to say it think about the global takedowns that happened for women ceos right elizabeth holmes everyone even back home in india the ones that kind of get taken down this she actually gave me a metric and she said you know it's modern day witch hunt and these stories perform so much better than male co-founder takedowns it creates more fear right like i think as a female ceo i was like man after seven or eight years if i get attacked like this is it worth it you know you start asking yourself is it worth it questions of course i mean there is fraud and legality and all of that which none of us will ever know the details of but I mean if an Elizabeth home is where she is I know it's a little bit more complex but an Adam Newman gets 350 million dollars That's crazy you know That is the world we live in Yeah that's crazy Another founder friend of mine um told me this very recently couple of months back He's one of the most intelligent and you know um measured people I've met I don't know whether you know Siddharth at Tribo I know of him I don't know him He's in Bangalore only you must meet him okay. he's a lovely human being So Siddharth told me And we are all this. Are, this is a McKinsey founder group. It's a very cozy group of people, right? And cozy. Did you use the word cozy? <laughs> yeah, I mean we are we're very close to each other. We kind of back each other. We invest okay. in each other's businesses, etc. Right? And uh, he said, "Kiar, bina evidence ke, agar founder pe reputational chori ka agar ilzam lagaye, then it there has to be a law that until it is proven." Yeah. it has to be kept like you you have to keep it quiet it yeah you're killing somebody's entire like yeah like because tomorrow yeah. if anyone gets acquitted and it's proven that they were innocent yeah the damage was done of course damages exactly it's mm-hmm. so easy to pull somebody down i mean that's that's the thing right it's a function of being disconnected it's a function and again i go back to her telling me that like we got along we had a drink and i was like man like what is happening you know she like the truth is these stories do better she like there's data to prove these stories to better the word is witch hunt by the way but it is witch hunt it is modern day witch hunt it's a very hunt. female word <laughs> if it's done on a male founder it's still called a witch hunt but the word has female has has female back i mean so is a bitch yeah i mean okay that's all you know it's times are changing and stuff but these are factual pieces that everybody needs to know i think it's i think it's something i have made peace with saying i think if i falter if i make one mistake i'll get hit 10 times harder but big shit yeah do you do you do you face that when you raise capital <laughs> oh my god oh we're getting there we're getting to that <laughs> question <laughs> no but like is is it real like 
I think people are very scared I will like cancel them. <laughs> so they're very most people are very I think this ecosystem has also evolved where people are very measured with what they say. Uh but it's also a very small ecosystem. So I think when people talk outside of me and within like groups now I have enough friends in the ecosystem to tell me what the bad gossip is. I've got the cliche like it's so exhausting to hear the same damn cliche which is I've been married 3 and a half years. I'm childless. What happens if I get pregnant? I was like, okay, 2022 we're still talking about the same shit. You know, so there's that worry always. Um Has anyone asked you directly? No. No one can no, I will I will cancel the shit out of them. <laughs> uh no one I think that level of maturity has definitely come in where you can't. Um so I think that's one that's happened and it's something we all know. You know, it happens at corporate, it happens at every stage, it crosses everybody's mind. I think it's a valid concern. It can happen. Is it a valid concern? I mean, I think see I'm trying to be practical here, right? Which is I'm not an idiot. I'm not building a company that will fall apart for 2 months if I'm not there. I have co-founders, I have an incredible leadership team. If I get pregnant, I have 9 months <laughs> to collectively figure out a short-term plan of what can happen. And if you're investing this kind of money in me, have faith that yeah. I will navigate this. <laughs> Investors see this all the time when if if something happens to the company, founder is the one who loses most, etc. So applied on this right that if the, the founder will figure out how to manage a pregnancy of course i mean i think the answer is see this is the most common one that i got out of the way right i'm like we all know it yeah. it's all happening it's not said it yeah. is spoken about the most yeah. sometimes it's not even unsaid but it is a factor <laughs> uh i think the most interesting and the most painful one it took me a while to get through is somebody to my face told me i really like you i really like your business but there isn't enough data to prove that women led businesses in india succeed or make roi he told me to my face and i was like but you're correct <laughs> too correct <laughs> i was like but if you all don't give us the money <laughs> where the hell will we show you <laughs> you know and i think that's where the system is broken and it will change right but and now i have enough female women investor friends in the ecosystem and i complain to them right i'm like how many checks did you write to women today the answer is they are also afraid because the, they have more to lose like yeah. they have struggled to get into that position fought all their odds and if they make a wrong investment they're screwed yeah. you know so i think everyone's fighting the battle it'll take a little while but i think the interesting part here which is my co-founders agreed for me to be the ceo you know i think you have to remember the positives the positives here are capital partners backed a woman ceo and i asked somebody this recent question which i get damn irritated about because all these reports about actually not irritated i have to be measured about it which is it's progress <laughs> is it enough progress that we should celebrate and stop is my problem which is what we say 15% of the unicorns in india are led by women right how many of them have a female ceo i have no idea zero i think nike was the last one but that cannot be considered a unicorn and i'm like zero which means you're celebrating a valuation which has come on the back of a male ceo maybe she's running the show i don't know but i was like isn't that the question we should be asking for progress which is how many women ceos became unicorns we we are seeing a lot of people becoming founders do you think less of women are becoming founders compared to men no actually the number has accelerated from what i understand <coughs> see that's what i mean right let me talk about the good because i just don't 
See, I think the answer is we should celebrate the good, but we should start changing the question so that we move ahead, yeah. right? So I think the fact that the numbers have grown to 15% women co-founders is a great sign. That number has changed over the last decade. Now we should change the question to saying, are you willing to back yeah. a woman CEO and not put, again, I don't want to be frivolous and say put a man to it, right? But that is the next big step, saying, are you willing to put capital behind a woman? I think with a lot more women starting businesses, I think, oh, I have deep opinions here, so <laughs> you have to wait. But I think early is getting interesting, right? Everybody has mandate to start investing early, writing small-sized checks. And it's beautiful to see the number of women coming up and starting up, right? And that's a step in the right direction. I think it's because of early-stage funding, starting to open it up. There are enough programs in place. Where I think it is short is there's nothing beyond seed. It's pre-seed and seed, and I hate grants. Yeah. We're not in... Not we're not, yeah. yeah, we're not your Fair CSR activity. Yeah. I get very irritated when I hear of grants and I'm like, dude, <laughs> back me and put your name to it, right? And you should have the courage to say you're tracking my ROI for you. Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't, if you give me a grant and there is no ROI on it, how will the data ever be formed? Yeah. So I think these are things that need to change. A grant is helping a lot of women start, which is great. But I think anything beyond seed is broken. And it is the next step. So we will change beyond seed, get into like growth stage with a lot more participation. It's going to take a while, but it'll happen. The issue also is I think venture capital, seed two series, B series, C venture capital is mostly men. You'll probably have like... No a, kidding. Right? <laughs> very one-off. This is mostly men, mostly non-operators, non-founders. If you see backgrounds, typically engineers, IITs, you know, boys club folks from the from the ground up. You got, don't blame them. That's how centers of excellence in India were formed, lesser women participation in education, etc. So you don't blame them for the conditioning. Yeah. But for them, a woman founder is a difficult to understand phenomenon generally. Of course. It's also a risk, right? I mean, you're risk kind of... because you don't know, na? Also, you're betting on something that does not have data data, data points. Yeah. And it is true. I mean, I, again, like I say, I don't blame anyone, right? It's it's the system. It's the structure. One bad bet, they'll fall 10 times harder. Yeah. So, will you bet on the horse that has data points saying chances of success is high? Yeah. Chances of success. Because capital will not come is low. Yeah. You know, the, the, I'm sure you've heard about the Elizabeth Holmes effect, right? where women in the valley who look like her, the founders in the valley who are dyeing their blonde hair brown or black or, you know, putting contact lenses. I wore a black turtleneck <laughs> and black jeans that day and I had red lipstick on it and I did not think about it. I went for a meeting and I got such a lecture. She, they were like, dude, you look like her. Stop. I was like, I'm brown. <laughs> I have no blonde hair. What? what? <laughs> no, but that's like, that's the whole thing, no? That's like, it, it, it kind of affected hundreds of Women Which hunt? How do you build a team that is so much more experienced, possibly running businesses longer than you, but still respect slash reported to you, are accountable to you, and have a have a in especially given that you are COVID born, yeah. you know, more remote, etc. How do you how do you build that? I go back to my learning came from when I was twenty, uh -huh. and I had to 
get 300 mechanics 20 years older to me together and listen to me my single reality is if you say the truth you do say it with respect you bring value you take care of their problems age nothing matters so you know it's But a time process and it's exactly what you said right you don't bring people who know more more than you and tell them what to do you find a way to say man this is the problem statement how do we solve this what can i do yeah. so my entire team is at 20 25 years of experience there is no way i'm going to go tell of vikas how to run operations right but i can check on him make sure ask him questions tell him what the problem is involve him in issues that don't pertain just to him but give him the larger picture i think you have to make everybody accountable for what they're doing right and i think senior people like this leave a cushy job and come here and go through the grant because they want the experience so you have to give them good bad ugly together and i think people become part of the oneness when you involve them in everything and you don't my theory in life is do not protect anybody you only learn and realize and i think the people who don't survive it's okay you know they tried it didn't work out but you want the people to kind of sit with you through the hard and the storm right i think that's my simple theory with mechanics it's fine because intellectual arbitrage is very apparent with vikas it's not no 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 wait wait no i what in, what technical appetite did i have no, i knew not nothing in the car but like putting a service station together kind of being able to put a process in place using basic management skills like as a consultant i would be very comfortable hmm. going into a mine going into a you know uh, where there is high intensity of labor large number of people where organization is required sales large sales forces which are selling cement obviously they know more about cement or about mining than i do but there is value i add through organization making sure processes are well well documented the whole consulting skill set so i get being valued and respected sure. and even reported into in that setup you obviously are not a better mechanic yeah but you are respected but here where business intellect is also something i i struggle to be honest so i think the answer is see i i don't know i've never asked them right and but they're all there they're all here <laughs> one and a half years later we've uh, been uh, through the worst i want to say yeah. maybe there'll be higher storms there but i won't be concerned anymore like we've really broken shit what do you do like i i can tell you what i do i'll tell i'll tell you why i think there is respect right and they joke about how old i am they joke about a lot of things yeah. that i say like i was with vikas suray in a meeting with somebody much older and vikas was giggling through the meeting because he was like man i watched generation gap <laughs> you were saying something the dude did not understand at all he was like it was so funny and i was like yeah i think i think there is i think they respect the fact that we're playing the big game right and i think they watched me take the risk i think they watched me say what's the worst that can happen you know if we break we break together it's okay yeah and i think all of that brings respect right is i think people are very afraid to take risks yeah and yeah what do you like what skill of yours do you rely on when creating i so yeah, yeah. for me creating respect for me in someone's eyes is a very conscious effort especially in a reporting relationship huh. because if you have 25 years of experience and you are 50 years old there is very little i can add value to you from an in, from a knowledge standpoint so i try to find ways to do it where what do you rely on that i don't know if there's a method like so i think i i can say this right i i cannot be anything but this i cannot 
I cannot, it's, it's too energy draining for me. So I think for me, the answer is this is who I am. I try, I think I've become that person where I truly don't mean bad to anyone. Like, you know, I, I think me getting angry and getting upset with somebody is a waste of my energy with them. Like, I'm very happy to cut your and say, this is not working. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, no, I've gotten very good at that. Like, I'm cut, cut, cut. Doesn't work. Go. I think for me, the answer is I'm pretty good at, and I think most women are, like, if I have to generalize, right? EQ levels are a little higher. Yeah, right? Sure. It's a little higher. You are a little bit more. So I think everybody's pain points are a little different. And when somebody starts overcompensating, you know it's because the insecurity oh. is coming from there. And you catch on to it, which is you have to, like especially with such senior people, you need to catch on to it. And the minute you can address it respectfully, I think the job is done. Yeah. Ashish was on the show, the founder of Off Business. He said something very similar. Relating to people at an emotional level and letting them know you're like them yeah. is, w- is super important, which I struggle with. I try to establish... How how easily can you say, I don't know? Very easily. Yeah, so I think that's ground reality, right? Yeah. Like, you've hired experts. Why the hell should you know anything? You'll yeah. be like, man, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, what do we do? Yeah, so but the follow-on to I don't know should be how do I add value to you? That's where, that's where I, I... At least I put in effort. I think the answer... This is my truth, which is... I don't think anybody's perfect. The minute you say, I don't know, and you say it as many times as you don't know, they will feel damn comfortable coming to you and saying, dude, I don't know this. What do I do? And it's not one answer for everybody, right? One is, there is there are many very senior people who worked in corporates who are very scared to take decisions on their own. Yeah. And you know, you watch it unwind over time, you know, where you say, this is yours, figure it out. We mess up, we'll figure it out. You know, they, they need that kind of validation and then you start watching them blossom. There's somebody else who just doesn't want to take decisions alone. They have to run it past you. And you should be okay with it. You should be like, hey, everybody doesn't want to fly solo. People want that. And you should cater to that. Then there are people who don't want to report at all. And at the end of the month, they say, ho gaya. Like, <laughs> okay, great. So I think that's the answer. No, I agree with you. What's, what's the, I know this is a very cliched question, <laughs> but I really want to know. Given that none of the businesses of this nature have reached vision level you know, kind of, um, they're all figuring it out as they go. Each each one has f- tried to figure their own path. Yeah. You have found, hey, yeah. let's find commoditized categories, build a brand yeah. on top, maybe crystallize at the top, do a lot more debt than equity, buy cash flow positive, take out founders, 100%. Yeah. That's your model. Men's size is different. Yeah. Um, you know, global B is different. Goat is different. Upscale EO is different. Um, and there are many more, I think. But... Where do you see this? Or are you saying, hey, I don't, no one has figured out where this is going to go. We believe there's fundamental value in accumulating and allocating, accumulating businesses and allocating capital smartly. We'll figure out where this is going to go. Is that where you are? Or do you know where this is heading? I always have a plan. So the answer is there is always a plan and a goal. We're not married to the path. So I think the answer is we're very clear we have to be nimble because there is so much happening. Um, I think the answer is very simple. We're trying to build something that's from India for the world, right? And because we're building on marketplaces, the world is very easy to cater to. We'll yeah, see. You, you seem to love taking on counter bets a lot. And it comes with a, with a massive uh, upside if things work. Yeah. 
in your favor because a lot of the things you're doing in my mind are like for for me for yeah. example right launching a premium shaving business at that time seemed like a stupid bet it's still a stupid yeah. bet to be honest so but at that time was even a stupider bet because market had not opened up blah 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 premiumization was hard and people said ki yaar uh, you know uh, why do you want to do this mehenga razor kon khareedega gelet to sab khareedte blah 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 and i said no it's it's a lovely problem to solve because it's a tough problem to solve yeah. uh, but tough problems to solve often give you very little wiggle room for failure yeah so you i had to change my my point is i had to change very quickly but to th- other that's things. what i mean i think the answer is we know where we want to go we know we're taking a very weird path <laughs> but that's why my answer is well we're, we're constantly nimble the team is so small the team is man nobody can believe we're 45 people right um but the answer is this we save the intent remains the same i think the path keeps changing often enough and that's something all of us have made peace with which is we're on to something we know there are thousand knives coming our way but i think everyone's le- little bit let go of the fear and everyone's like man we're having fun let's keep at it we fall this business is cash generating at the end of the day unless we really mess up or something really big happens we have time to figure it out but i think we keep saying this and i love the fact that you know saying this people wake up the next day and like chalo <laughs> so i think that's great yeah it's 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 a, it's a very cool um, and i love the way you use the word break a lot right and it, it's 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 what bezos also says a lot right break i think musk or be one of these guys says it keep breaking things until something amazing comes out right that's the only way really you can't be satisfied no like you can't be like are itna acha banaya wah i'm like are we so early yeah we're like less than a year into operations 20 things break every day for us and now i love it you know like in september october if you had spoken to my team like we would get on a call everybody was red faced everyone was like life is coming to an end and now 20 things have broken and everyone's like acha theek hai what should we take care of and i was like wah i've prepared you for life <laughs> <laughs> no that's amazing it's so inspiring to 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 hear your story right i empathize with and by empathize i relate to not empathize is not much to empathize i relate to people who lived outside india came back after school kind of yeah. i want to actually touch on that a little bit when we were talking before we started uh, about how leaving home early makes you more risk averse talk about that a little bit Or i think it all you, goes into that same thing of you start taking care of yourself you start falling there's nobody to like take care of the small things right it just starts making you a little less f- fearful right the and just comes from that right like i have this theory that and it's not a theory i say it out quite aloud that and it's the way i live my life i think all of us spend 90% of the time thinking about ourselves what the world thinks of us how we how is how do we look at to the world oh my god did i do something wrong you know it's just the way all of us are built nobody has a time to think about you <laughs> you know they may not mean bad or but we spend so much time worrying about the world i don't think anyone cares <laughs> you know and even if they do the one thing that's certain is we're all going to die <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like then after that what who cares yeah you know so i think that's the answer which is the minute you can start saying things like this i'm not saying nothing matters right i mean of course i feel deep deep emotion the fact that i can wake, wake up and work the way i do is it's coming from a place of passion yeah right but i think the minute you can distance yourself away and say it's not the end of the world <laughs> i'll wake up tomorrow and i'll do something else i think that only comes when 
you're not protected and i think a lot of us get that very wrong in india like my husband is a very independent man but lived at home till he was 25 really yeah i mean he was at home till 25 living at home um uh, he's way more independent than i am but i think i see people a lot of my friends who still live with their parents and there's nothing wrong with it right i think culturally that's who we are but it never prepares you for life i think i mean so the answer is you don't know where your food is coming from you don't know if somebody has cleaned your house <coughs> or not if you lost something something is broken you just don't know how to do it yourself yeah and those are life deep life skills i think so right. i think making money early in any form not too much but learning to kind of make your money and manage it gives you a sense of i think it's ecstatic in yeah. a way right and i think that's very important for us in this culture in india to learn it is prevalent internationally and i think it really helps yeah and i think living alone which is you have to face some shit yeah. and then it kind of makes you realize as you get older the shit gets a little bigger but you'll deal with it where do you where do you uh, you know where do you see yourself personally you're you're one of you know you're a you're a path breaking founder you're doing something people have <laughs> people haven't seen like I, i'm scared to do what you do in like but why are you scared what is the I, worst that will happen i don't like variables which are so ah. many i don't like model bhi unproven hai paisa bhi bahut chahiye founder bhi nahi hoga mere sath there are too many variables mm. and i don't like mm. too many variables in a startup situation mm. also to just 2 years old so for me like i feel mm. i feel like if i if i am a founder in that so i would want to knock off variables quickly right so uh but you're a, you're a path breaking founder you're doing amazing work and i'm sure like you're saying right you'll you'll figure out you know your goal you'll figure out your path but um but tell me about for you personally bhavna like where do you where like what does success mean for you personally of course for 10 club it is what it is but for you personally i don't know success but i think there's only one thing in my life that matters to me one thing and it's choice i need to always have the choice what kind of choice anything If I want to do it, I can do it. If I want to walk out, I want to walk out. I think just oh, everything. Anything, any, any responsibility, with the business and personal both, or just business? Everything, right? Like marriage was huge. I was just like, woof. <laughs> and it's both of us, right? Both of us have been together for a long time. It took us a while to say, okay, let's get married. I love my husband to death, and he loves me as well. But both of us know divorce is an option. Yeah. You know, kids is a different ball game. We're like, holy shit! If that happens, there is. <laughs> Oh my god and that's scary you know to a point where we are people that yeah so i think the answer is as long as i have the choice with anything i'm good that is success and do you think you have that today to a large extent um to a large extent so yeah i i don't think there is anything i would do that i don't want to do biggest regret ever very hard to think yeah i don't know and i'm not lying like i can't think of i have no regrets that's amazing no i have zero regrets because mistake ever mistakes are made lots <laughs> um mm not start up for anyone. no no i know i mean i think with people right i think at the end of the day because i am the way i am i do trust a lot more uh 
I do waste time and you know I've all my life you know I'll be like I always give the person the benefit of the doubt and I've realized the person on the other end is not strong enough uh-huh. you know they'll wiggle out or they'll do something stupid I think those are mistakes it's usually people I don't think it's nothing else really accounts when do you want to retire your husband retired Varun retired 3 I will never retire I like I said right I have no hobbies I'm not good at anything <laughs> else I'm only good at taking swings and I and I have zero fear of failure Do you want to play any sport play any music tried any everything art, like tried everything But now so. even do, how do you like how you still look really fit how do you do that like is this more all exercise no sport uh, So my new hobby is pottery I okay. love it Okay but let's see how long it lasts Um yeah I mean I do things like I like Varun hikes a lot so I go we travel a lot and i think that's very important for me like it's very important for me to get out as often because that's change and choice for me i work on the road and i'm very good at it but that is choice right so yeah. we hike a lot um i do yoga i do crossfit once in a while i have learned to eat healthy yeah are yeah. you a foodie i loved food uh-huh. i'm a little bit more disciplined with it now so yeah i think and like i said i have great friends so do you invest in other founders as well financially i have just otherwise? started Okay. And I realized it's an important thing to do. So, it's why, new. Why? Huh? Why do you think it's important? I mean, I think saying hey I will mean the best for you is very different from saying I'll put where my money. You know, I'll put my money behind you and yeah. I can't say shit like grants are crap <laughs> if I can't put my own money and yeah. say hey here's my money right. and I don't put large sums, I put small and I think that's How much do you put? I put 1 2 3 4 lakhs. That's that's you're a part of the journey. Yeah. In a meaningful way. Yeah. And I'm like listen this is I'm here I'm available do whatever but that's amazing how much money is enough money as much money that gives me choice at every stage in life how much is that i don't know that keeps changing <laughs> how much was it like for the last so i think if you ask me this at 20 i would have said 1 million dollars <laughs> now i'd be like 100 million dollars <laughs> maybe 5 years from now i'll be like 1 billion bhi kam nahi hai i mean you know there are there's one of our guest toshan one of the most financially prudent people i've ever seen a partner mckinsey advises the best people in the world etc right he said there are four clubs 1 million 10 million 100 million and 1 billion by 35 you're still a few years away from that but by 35 decide permanently and make peace with which club you want to be a part of and then don't waver and then let your lifestyle be dis- defined by what club you are a part of so if you're a part of the 10 million club work for 10 million the 75 crores and then make your lifestyle 75 crores two houses three cars etc But if you want ten houses in the world, then you have to be a part of the hundred million club. You can't be part of the one of the ten. So be very clear, <laughs> clear about that. I'm mean, like, that's very interesting. I've never thought about it. I think it's bullshit. In today's time, you can make. I think companies can be started at any age, uh-huh. and I think today forty-year-olds, fifty-year-olds are starting very successful companies, and chances are they have so much experience. And wealth is only created in this format. Wealth is not created through employment or anything else. Fully right? Really. It's through equity. Correct. What's stopping me from starting like an insane business at fifty and becoming a billionaire? You can't bet on it, no. You can't bet on starting an insane business at fifty the way you can on on at twenty-five or thirty. I completely disagree. But you have many choices. The amount of time you have to do it. That's what I'm saying. Higher. I think I think this is. Yeah, I don't fully agree, and I think the minute you start saying this, people are in a hurry to define which box they have to be in. <laughs> and for me, that is just the most disgusting thing to do, right? I'm But like, man. I don't want to be defined by a box. I'm like, "Are I'll do this now?" Not defined by a box. It's about being comfortable living a life that you have agreed to live because 
there is no there is no upper cap so, so i have you, to tell you the let other me reframe s- this. you yeah. save yourself from dissatisfaction that sounds very heavy yeah i think we're discounting how nimble humans are we have very short memories at least that's how i'm built like when you ask me what my regret i don't remember i don't know if i regret anything you know but i think the answer here is uh, maybe i am also saying this openly because we live a very minimal lifestyle yeah. we don't own shit i don't get joy from owning stuff we don't own a house we don't own a car <laughs> you know so we don't i mean both of us are like that uh-huh. we spend on travel experiences travel and we don't live like we're very happy living with friends and you know so we're not like spenders at all so i don't think m- extra money changes my lifestyle in any way extra money will change how much i can give back yeah. and i think that's interesting so whether that's 10 million 100 million or billion no but i think money is the most sure shot of choice exactly it's a no, sure that's, shot recipe for choice that's what i mean so for me i will never say money is not important i love money because it always gives me choice but yeah i think the answer is i don't think at 20 if you ask me where i would be i had no idea at 30 if you ask me i had no idea i want to be that person at 40 also if you ask me listen what do you want to do in 5 years i'll be like fuck i have no idea <laughs> but i think that's cool and i think you can make money at any stage and you can hit one big jackpot before you go i completely agree i think it requires one right it just one needs one 300. right it needs one <laughs> it needs one in 300 <laughs> no bhavna this has been such an eye opening conversation for me like um you're such a you're such a pleasure to talk to thank you and uh, genuinely like um uh, your what what refreshes me is your intellect and your generosity to share it both and i wish 10 club you joel deepak vikas <laughs> uh, varun and the whole all your entire circle of people your investors uh, the very best um, any way in which me or the team here can help we would love to but um, thank you for being a part of the barber shop and um, for sharing um with such candor which is very 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 awesome and like you said rare in today's age so thank you for being a part of this It's no thanks for pleasure. thanks for having me i was really looking forward to this <laughs> i was worried whether we were going to go at each other but that was also cool but i think we did but didn't. did you have fun i had a great time yeah yeah thank you so much